0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: And on a beautiful night here at the Coliseum, the lights have taken full effect.
0: Welcome to Taking Effect, an Oakland A's podcast with Ken Korak. Now, with an inside look at the A's, here's Ken.
1: From Mesa, Keith Lippman is joining us in his 47th year in the A's organization and 26th year as the A's director of player development. In any walk of life, and especially in sports and in baseball, it's hard to keep the same job for 15, 20 years. How have you done it for 47 years in the same organization?
2: A lot of it has been the fact that we've had real stability in our system uh, Having Billy Bean, first it was Sandy and then Billy and now David, Uh, very fortunate as a minor league staff member and a lot of people that work with me uh, that we've had that stability and the ability to uh, have freedom to do what you like. Uh, You know, they give us opportunity to develop and, uh, you know, you find a little niche, enjoy what you're doing and you have the loyalty and the stability behind you. Uh, It's almost the perfect job.
1: You and I first met when you were managing in the minor leagues around 30 years ago or more, and I know you enjoyed that. Has there ever been the temptation to pursue getting back into managing or maybe even thinking maybe with a different organization, maybe I could get to the big leagues as a manager?
2: You know, I never really had real goals to be a big league manager. Uh, I always thought maybe my route would be as a third-base coach or a bench coach, something like that. But once uh, Carl Keel, who was my mentor – Offered me this position uh, as a roving instructor, and then when he uh, retired, I took over for him. And uh, I really found a place where I could do a lot of things that I enjoyed that uh, involved leadership training. Uh, we did a lot of staff development. I found that I f- uh, things about myself that I didn't know that I was going to be capable of doing once I took the job. So I got interested in uh, helping to develop guys to be better instructors, better teachers. So an offshoot of all that uh, came to me was sort of finding something about myself that I didn't really know I had the capability to do. So I I learned a lot about uh, reading books like John Maxwell, some of the top leadership people, and we started to create kind of uh, an environment of learning, and uh, I think we've created some pretty good staff members along the way, and uh, it's been fun for me to learn about uh, something different that does involve baseball and Mm-hmm. Uh, continues on with, with uh, happening today.
1: Carl Keel, of course, was a legendary figure in baseball for many years, and especially in the A's organization. You guys were almost soulmates, I think, in terms of the way you thought about the game. There's been a great deal of continuity with the A's, within the A's organization on the staff. Do you, is it important to have people who think the same way philosophically, or do you like having different ideas come into the picture?
2: I think that's kind of the key is that we've allowed a lot of independent thought. There's no one way to do anything. Uh, in fact, this year we're bringing an old book back from the 70s called The Inner Game of Tennis and how it relates to the mental game. Uh, we were fortunate back uh, in the 80s to have Harvey Dorfman and Carl, the premier guys in sports psychology, kind of be part of that organization. So we're going back to you know some more of the mental training to see if we can help expedite some of the teaching and the learning because uh, the fast nature of how you get to get players to the big leagues uh, is important so you may only have them for a short time and the mental game is such a big part of it so we're always looking for an edge or a different way uh, to bring something uh, that would benefit the organization and the player in a better fashion.
1: So that's fascinating. What's the lesson in going back and reading it's the inner game of tennis mm-hmm. from 19, from the 70s, what lessons can be imparted through that?
2: It was a basic understanding of, uh, you know, what's going on in your head, your self-one, self-two, who's talking to you, trying to help them understand that uh, playing at your peak uh, has a lot to do with clearing your head. It's like a golfer, or any player, anybody that's in sports has to have a clear mind to continually perform at a peak level. So you try to get all the distractions out. You tr- clear your head. So a lot of what we do uh, will be involved with doing it under pressure. How do you respond? How do you react to uh, all the events that uh or talking to you, anybody who's played tennis or golf knows that there's that devil on one shoulder and then there's the angel on the other and you kind of got to pick who you want to go to the party with. So,
1: you know, I've fought that my whole life in golf. So you can can teach me how to hit that eight iron from 145 yards over the water on the 18th hole.
2: Well, that's part of the process, you know, to try to, you know, at least make you aware of what's going on so that you can make some conscious choices about, uh, you know, how you want to visualize it. You see so many golfers, uh, baseball players that, you know, McGuire used to do that in the on-deck circle. You'd watch him uh, close his eyes and he would kind of do his – Pre at bat routine, and it was almost like you'd sometimes with a skier, you'd watch how they'd kind of stand at the top of the hill and watch the uh, their head move according to the way that the curves would go. So you have to have mental images. Uh, you try to take all of the thinking part of your uh, brain down, and you breathe, you relax, and then get ready for the event.
1: How do you teach that to the players? Are there classes? Are there seminars? How does the wisdom get imparted to the members of the organization?
2: We have a sports psychologist and the AP guy by the name of Mark Strickland uh, who is on top of those kind of things. And it starts from the day they sign. Uh, we talk, you know, we have our staff read books. Uh, the Mental ABCs of Pitching could be one by Harvey Dorfman, The Mental Game of Baseball by Carl Kiel. Uh, we, we pretty much stick to a, a variety of uh, Books and, and they'll read actually out of the books to the players. They'll take a half hour a day. And uh, sometimes the BP and the on field stuff is important, but this stuff is uh, far more important in, in, the, in the long haul, in the big picture, than uh, just useless hitting every day that doesn't have any rhyme or reason. So try to combine all elements to make it uh, worthwhile and beneficial for these guys.
1: Are the players mostly
2: receptive? Uh, once you begin to understand and they recognize that things are destroying them because there's so much failure in the game, we're trying to create a system that gets them back up and running within a pitch. You know, you only have a moment. It's just kind of the new way of thinking of uh, the world now about living in the moment. Man, if you're a baseball player, that is what you have to do because – you're going to make an error, and then you've got to come back, and that ball usually will find you very quickly. And so if you're not ready, uh, it's all about mental because physically you're capable of making it, trying to get rid of the tension and the other effects of what has just happened to you and get back into the capability of being like you were prior to that play.
1: I'm not trying to hit a curveball up there in the broadcast booth or hit a fastball thrown at 98 miles an hour. But I can't tell you how many times, and these were the lessons you have to learn as a, maybe even a young broadcaster or different walks of life, where you would have a situation where I would make a a mistake on a call. And then before I knew it, I'm thinking about the mistake that I made, and now the next pitch, I mess up the call there. So it sounds like that this is the kind of stuff that you're trying to teach the young players.
2: Well, it's really an interesting aspect because uh, we call it almost a committee that's in your head. You know, you have your old coach, your dad, your expectations. There's a lot of things going on in your head. The ability to uh, single out and remove a lot of those voices that are, you know, yelling at you, uh, you really have to get yourself back to you know the true north of finding out you know who do i want to help me get through this situation because they're difficult uh you swing and miss on a fastball uh as soon as you start thinking about well how am i going to catch up to this or what do i have to do differently you you're getting out of the moment you're the other part of your brain's trying to teach you uh, and fix it right there on the spot you don't want to do that you want to clear your head breathe and, and start getting into the, the moment of what you want to do rather than what happened. A lot of our players will beat themselves up. They'll replay the negative event for uh, hours after the game. So we try to put them in a place where they, they're only allowed to do it for five or 10 replays, and then they f- fix it in their mind and then drop it off. Uh, it's, it's so many things that, that can be helped. You know, the, the, these habits of replaying negative stuff, it only repeats the bad performance. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, replay brings me to something we were talking about um, that relates to what's going on in the big leagues right now with the proliferation of replay. And that is that although there isn't replay in the minor leagues, how much preparation goes on right now with the players that you have in your minor league system thinking about situations that might develop for them when they get to the big leagues?
2: You know, we talked earlier about uh, just the simple play of learning how to tag a, a runner. Uh, in the minor leagues, it used to be you just uh be a, as soon as you could get the the tag down as fast as you could, so we taught it's a quick swipe tag. you get in and out, show the umpire the ball, and uh usually he'd call him out now you have to teach to keep the glove on the runner for another thirty seconds in case he comes off the base because the video replay will show a guy that has overslid the base and and the video changes how you know you instruct at the minor league levels so the same is true with a catcher's play about how they block home plate. Uh, you have to go through a lot of different uh, things because of the rule changes. Run into first base, the last three feet. You know, Paul, oh, there's so many things that are now being brought into uh, reviewable states that you have to teach them at the minor leagues, even though they're not being reviewed, uh, but they have to be prepared. Because I know uh, we had a couple of young players that went to the big leagues that overslid the base, and, you know, Billy would give me a call and just say, hey, we need to start making sure that this doesn't happen. We've got to make sure that they slide early enough so that they don't come off the base because it's a different game up there.
1: The other thing would be the shifting. And I was wondering, is, are, do you instruct your minor league coaches and managers to use a lot of shifting down there to get players ready for when they get to the big leagues?
2: Yeah, we've had to do that. That happened uh, two years ago. And the guys in our uh, analytic department, Dan Kantrovitz and, you know, David, a lot of the guys, they understand that that's important. So uh, we've done the shifting even without information. We, you know, we kind of do it by eye, but now we're getting more and more ability to do that in the minor leagues. We'll pick two or three hitters and move the guys because, you know, to have to move a third baseman to the shortstop position, you have to learn how to, able to handle that so it's great for Chapman uh, Wendell all these guys have been trained in that what we're finding out is that all of a sudden those shift positions that we're putting guys in for instance you move a third baseman over the shortstop level pretty soon a left-handed hitter will hit a certain ball that cuts differently that that he's probably never seen or read before so he has to have that experience Uh, there's the lip in left or the right field you know second base position where it'll come off if you play too close to the lip, it's going to eat you up. So, learning how to uh, decipher where to play, and uh, we'll, we'll take infields, we'll do everything because it uh, there is a preparation that, that has to take place.
1: What do you tell a hitter? Because from a time a kid starts playing eight years old, nine years old in Little League, you're taking an outside pitch and you drill a ball up the middle, you do everything you were supposed to do. But the shortstop's playing right there, and it's a routine 6-3. What do you tell that hitter?
2: At this stage, uh, we are trying to teach in the minor leagues that if the shifts are so great uh, that we're putting new tools in our bag. It's almost like you can't just have one club to play golf with. You have to have more than one. So uh, there's a lot of ego involved. These big, strong hitters don't want to go the other way. They're going to stay with what they do best. And that's what got them to the big leagues. So pretty much whether it's Brandon Moss or uh, some of our strong young hitters, they're going to try to hit through that zone. And, 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 you know, their job is to hit it out of the park. But the game's changed a little bit. So we do teach, uh, you know, if you have to bunt or if you have to learn to hit it the other way, uh, why not? You know, that's the way the game's evolving. Until they reshift on you, um, you start getting hits over there. I guarantee you they're going to move the – yeah. defense back so we think uh, have an open mind drop your ego and uh, it's only going to make you a better player
1: let's talk about some of the players and some of the decisions that have to be made looking at where they might play defensively uh, take a guy like Franklin Barreto who is the consensus one of the best prospects in baseball is a shortstop the have Marcus Simeon playing shortstop he had 27 home runs a year ago what kinds of decisions going into would go into whether or not a player like Barreto stays at shortstop when you have someone in the big leagues playing shortstop or if maybe you feel like at some point you have to move him.
2: You know, this started almost a couple years ago when we first got him from Toronto. Uh, we've decided to move him at different positions. So he's played short, but he also has played second. He played half a year at Stockton. And he, he and this other player that we have, Yairo Munoz, uh, are both really good young players. We alternated them in between positions. If three days a week they'd play short, three they'd play second. Because, you know, you come to those times in your uh, season where uh, you might have an injury or you might have an, an opportunity for a young player to go. So if Simeon's okay, then maybe there's an opportunity at second. Uh, somebody gets injured there, uh, you have the opportunity to move him in. So he's played a lot, uh, played a little bit this last fall league at second and short. Uh, so he's versed at being able to do either one, and uh, he's performed well at both positions. So it becomes about opportunity. Uh, and the preparation gone into it is that, you know, we think that he could play either one ef- effectively, and his bat's going to be what's going to carry him.
1: I don't know if it's fair to say this, but I go back to the mid to late 90s when you had Miguel Tejada playing short, yet Eric Chavez coming up playing at third base. For the A's to regain their prominence as an organization, get back into contention on a consistent basis, do you need Franklin Barreto and Matt Chapman to be those guys?
2: Uh, On what we've seen so far, I I would say those are the up-and-coming guys. They're exciting players. Uh, You see power like I haven't seen since uh, McGuire and Conseco. Chapman's got the same kind of capabilities, and then You see a strong, durable guy. A good comp would be Tahata to have that kind of strength. And uh, Barreto has got a good mindset. Uh, He really has an understanding of how to play aggressive. And that's how Miggy was coming up. Uh, They're hungry. They want to perform. And uh, that's two good, really, guys to start uh, this kind of rebuilding within our system.
1: How do you decide and how does the organization decide on when to fast-track a pitcher? Uh, looking at the draft from last year, the top three picks the A's had college pitchers: and Dalton Jeffries out of Cal, and then the two kids from Florida, Logan Shore and AJ Puck, who was a, was the sixth pick in the draft. How do you decide how to move those guys up? When to move them up? And and if you can fast track them?
2: Okay, I'll go back to last year. Start with Mangdon. Uh You know, we acquire him midway through the summer. He's got a little different delivery and. Uh, nobody's really sure about what he's gonna be and you know he kind of in and out a little bit the the half of the season we had him he came back to spring training and produced I mean he played great at double-a went to triple-a and his performance sent him there in a hurry because he was outstanding in our system he did everything that we needed him to do and he performed early in the big leagues and uh, that was a great story just on performance but guys like uh, Puck and Shore and Jeffries, those guys, uh, in the old days, we, we, we had two teams in the Cal League. Uh, we, you know, we had the Visalia and Modesto. And our guys, they had no Midwest League team. So we would take college players when Grady Fuson was the scouting director, and they would take these guys directly to the Cal League, and they would skip any kind of – you know, they were – Usually college pitchers, and they performed usually well. The California League's notorious for a hitter's ballpark, and they take their lumps. But it would teach them that you know the pitches they made mistakes with. They, they have to learn to you know do those things quicker at, at that level. They're played in big you know programs. They understand themselves. Uh, these are mature guys that are coming into our system. So starting them at a higher level doesn't uh, worry us at this point because we think they'll we'll be fine. Uh, and then they begin to take off according to their capabilities. So opportunities will come faster, and I think pitchers are are moving sooner than position players through our system.
1: Is this a little unusual to have as many as 70 players in camp like the A's have this year?
2: Uh, I don't remember having this since Billy Martin brought 100 that (laughs) one year. Billy Martin brought 100. (laughs) That was uh, an incredible spring training. I'll never forget that one, but uh, I forget exactly what year that was, but uh, I think I was – Ninety-eight or ninety-nine on the on my number for that <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. group of people. One hundred and six. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was a fun year. I mean, you know, you can't get a whole lot accomplished because you've got so many players. But seventy is a lot of, especially with so many position players. We've got a lot of guys capable of playing numerous positions. I mean, Olson at first or the outfield. Uh, you can move uh, different people around. Uh, you've got Nunez, Healy, uh, a lot a lot of parts that. You know, young players, Pinder can play all over the infield. Um, Munoz, we've got interesting candidates. Uh, the game has evolved to where versatility, especially in, in our system, is such an important aspect of what we do. Uh, you can plug guys in. Uh, you know, at one point we thought Barreto might be a great center fielder. So, I mean, there's a lot of thought about how to expand roles that uh, are open due to opportunity. Uh, the, the old days, like when we had Spezio and he was a third baseman, and then one day there was an injury. The next thing you know, he's playing second base, and he, he he was pretty good. So, you have to have that flexibility to or be able to see that uh, it may not be perfect to start with, but there's a potential for that.
1: When the minor league camp opens, how many players will be here?
2: A hundred and thirty-five, hundred and forty, and then uh, we'll bring an extended spring program of another forty-five. So, typically are almost close to 175. Okay,
1: You've got a triple A club, double A club, and you have two single A clubs. So the A's have four teams that will play full season. So that's basically 100 players. Now you might keep some guys for extended spring or younger players who might eventually play in short season. But you're going to have to tell some guys who have the dream of making a life or at least a career out of playing professional baseball. How tough is it when you have to tell A young kid, you know, we just don't have a spot for you.
2: You know, I still go through the anguish of seeing that, you know, there may be still something left, but the opportunity, you know, you've progressed, you know, he may not have gotten where he needed to be, but there's still some talent there. And there's a certain sadness that, you know, because you get to know these guys. Our style is to be up front with them, to connect with them, to build relationships. So these aren't people that are just numbers. These are people that you know and you respect. And uh, it's it's very difficult. Uh, In many cases, I I have to take the attitude that if their path is going to be difficult, they might be better off in in a different organization or moving on with their lives. Uh, It's one of my favorite things is guys I've released 10 years ago, they'll come back and say, you know, I'm married, i got three kids, I've got a great job. You know, thank you for, you know, having me in this organization. We get that more than people that are angry and you know upset at the time it's not easy you know many times I'm in tears with the kid I mean it's it's really hard to see somebody that started their dream at six or seven years old and here I am the the person that's saying you're changing directions now but hopefully they you know the experience will be something that will help them in their life later on that will gear them toward a better opportunity.
1: Who decides who goes where at the end of the spring? What's the process like in the meetings and the people who are involved in the decisions as to who would go to AAA or AA or to single A?
2: You know, it's, it's a meeting we have at the end of March, and, you know, David, Billy, uh, all of our scouts, Eric Kubota, Grady, uh, we'll have a group of maybe 20 people. We'll sit in our room over there, and there's a big board, has everybody's name on a plaque. And uh, it's a metal, uh, kind of a movable item that you can take and move people around. And it's a four- or five-hour meeting where we just shuffle people back and try to make sense of the big picture because you see where everybody's at and, you know, have to go through this. So it's a group thing where everybody has input. And, uh, you know, there's obviously from the top down, so a lot of the input that will come from Billy and David and they'll, you know, say, well, we need to have this for this reason. And so then, you know, we'll, we'll just kind of move our other players to accommodate what the needs are. And I think by the time we get done with it, uh, it the Big League Club is the most important thing. We've got to make sure they're in place. And then you, you look for, they're going to use every year 40 to 50 players are going to be part of the thing. And that's what Bob Melvin tells everybody in Big League Camp The last two years, we've used anywhere from 45 to 52 players. So if you're in big league camp, there's probably a good chance you're going to be in the big leagues sometime over the course of the year. So we need to keep those players ready and capable of making moves because you've watched it over the years. Uh, We'll make moves very, very quickly when, when the need is there.
1: How gratifying is it to see someone who's come up through the organization like a Kurt Young? who was a very good pitcher, uh, came up in the A's minor league system, became a good left-handed pitcher for the big league club, and then wound up coaching in the minor leagues for the A's and now has been a mainstay on the big league staff as the pitching coach.
2: It's exciting for us. Uh, that's part of this staff training that I was talking about, that we were all in this together, and everybody knows that guys want to get to the big leagues. Two, this last year we had two new promotions, uh, Josh Cuffey as strength and conditioning coach and Jeff Collins guys that have been with us that have put in the time and effort uh, I think I told the, p- the p- players here at our mini camp the other day I'm just as thrilled for them as I am for you know when you guys make through the big leagues that's our goal but uh, you see these guys day in and day out working uh, 12 to 14 hours a day doing the hard jobs mm-hmm. uh, people don't realize underneath the surface how difficult it is for minor league coaches <laughs> that are underpaid uh, maybe not making a great salaries, but are willing to follow their dream. And then that pays off, and you see them there. Kurt, uh, you know, we've had a lot of guys. Marcus Jensen, uh, there's a, a number of guys. Uh, Emo has been part of us. Booker. Scott Emerson. Yeah. yeah. And so, there, you know, there's a lot of our uh, staff that have evolved into there, and I'm proud of those guys, and I think we all are.
1: Well, I think we all look to you for guidance. I know those people that have uh, come up through the organization uh, you've just been so instrumental, and you've been really a rock uh, for this organization for so many years. And all the guidance and influence that you've had, I think, has really helped make the A's uh, the organization that they are. So uh, this is kind of an annual uh, rite of spring for you and me to sit down. And uh, best of luck. Thanks for the visit.
2: Thanks, Ken. It's been a fun. I, like I said, this is a great job, and uh, it has lots of rewards.
0: You've been listening to Taking Effect with Ken Korak, an Oakland A's podcast. Ken will return with a new episode soon. Subscribe via iTunes or download single episodes at athletics.com slash podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it.